0: Um, so what we're going to talk about today is homelessness, something that's really close to my heart. And, uh, Peter deals with it every day. David, in his day job, is a social worker and works with people on the edge. So we've kind of set up here, sit down, guys. We've kind of set up here a, like a little living room space. We've got a couple of three armchairs, we've got a coffee table, we've even got a artificial plant. And uh it's uh it's kinda homey. And this is the you're in our home. It's actually God's home. And it's our it's a house, the house of God. So it somehow seems appropriate to talk, have a conversation about homelessness in this place. So I've been thinking about it quite a bit over the last, well, last few years, um, there's, there's so much tied up in the idea of homelessness. Home, like home is home is more about, it's not about just about shelter and security. It's also about uh, family. It's about uh, um, our, our sense of identity. And when you lose those things, what do you got? And I was thinking, you know, homelessness is a big theme in the Bible. Like right from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, you know, they they sin and they're driven from their home in the Garden of Eden. Then we, we learn about Abraham. Abraham, God calls him to leave his home and to wander with him together on this journey that seems to never end. He has no home. And then we, we learn about David, not this David, uh, the, the David who became king. And he was, for years he was homeless as King Saul uh, pursued him out of jealousy and rage. And then we learn, you know, years later, the, the kingdom of Judah is carried away. The whole nation is carried away. From their home into bondage in another country. In exile. Eventually they come back and they reconstruct their home. And Jesus. Jesus was homeless. He talks about foxes have holes and birds have nests. But the son of man has no place to lay his head. And he wandered with his uh, 12 disciples and a small group of people all around through their country and, and went to wherever the people were in the street. And actually, uh, that, I could talk about that for a long time, about how Jesus, it's kind of like your work and your work. Jesus, in a, in a time when people, where everything was unclean for Jewish people, Jesus would touch people who other people will be afraid to touch. And then we have Paul, who leaves his home and everything he knows to bring the good news to the Gentile world. That's a lot about homelessness. But you know what? I, in thinking about it, none of those people were really ever completely homeless because they, they had their home in their relationship with God So it was kind of like a mobile home. He went with them wherever wherever they went. So, um, this morning we're going to have a a bit of a conversation about this, the three of us. And I don't know how it's going to work out. And there's, and we, you know, we've got 20 minutes, half an hour, and I've probably used up two thirds of it already, just yakking. And, um, but it may take a little longer, but I invite you to be part of it. But before we start, let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we have this home with you and that we can come together today to worship you. And we ask you to send your Holy Spirit to guide us in the things we are about to say. We have stories to tell and we have an important message to share. We ask you to move amongst us, amongst David and Peter and I as we share, amongst the people sitting in our midst, amongst the people who are watching this at home on their, on their computers or their phones, maybe not right now, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe six months from now. We ask you to guide us through this worship. Bless us with your message in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Peter, I guess I'll start with you. I know there's a lot of stereotypes about who the homeless are. I mean, I Peter and I are, I get together with Peter once a month and a bunch of sometimes, other people.
1: Sometimes more.
0: Yeah, that's right. Because uh, I'm on the board for the Ottawa Mission. And Peter often at at every meeting, shares what's happened in the last month. So who are the homeless? Is that a question, a fair question to ask?
1: Sure it is, Gord, and uh, I should point out, Gord not only has been on the board of the Ottawa Mission for some time and a great contributor, but he's also the chair of the board of our property outreach uh, wing of what we do, uh, which is Holland Properties. So we have a lot of housing projects, mixed market, uh, second stage, and other housing that we do in, in the city uh, to help uh, make affordable housing available to those who come out of the shelter, and Gord's the chair of that group, and uh, certainly a huge piece of that wing of what we do, and it keeps us at the forefront of fi- finding housing. So thank you for that work as well, too, Gord. So who are the homeless? So I've been at the mission now just over nine years, and um, had you asked me that question when I came in, I would have given the stereotypical answer, but I think the homeless are... Um, A diverse group of people, but um, my experience now has been uh, uh, one of the. I think, in all the time I've seen, and Gordon knows my office is always accessible. People come in my office and we chat all the time. Unfortunately, sometimes uh, people have recovered from their addiction. Uh, I was struck at first um, uh, that uh, to have somebody in your office talking about how well they're doing, then you hear they've relapsed and. Then you hear they've passed on, they've died of an overdose. Um, it can be gripping. Uh, and hearing the experiences, I think the homeless, uh, most of them, I think, are people who come from troubled backgrounds, people who have had to deal with dysfunction, uh, turmoil, um, trauma in their youth. Uh, most, uh, not all, but many that I see that come through my doors are, uh, are men, and also we see the women who have uh, suffered through trauma. They didn't have the childhood that many of us have, or they didn't have the coping skills to deal with the difficult trauma of childhood that some of us have had to overcome. Uh, some of us who have had to overcome addiction, mental health issues, uh, they weren't quite prepared for that. So they, at some point, become homeless. I've seen others. gentlemen. I was at his memorial once years ago, who was a local hero. He was a star on the baseball team, the basketball team. I remember him. He was a strapping tall, six-foot-five gentleman, but by then his skin had all broken out in lesions and blisters and as he was suffering from cirrhosis and other ailments. But to hear at his memorial his brother get up and speak about a guy who was a local hero, uh, uh, almost made it in baseball, um, but he used to go out after the games and enjoyed the pubs a little too much and eventually the addiction of the booze brought them down, so they're somebody from a perfectly normal background. So in all my years, I've seen the different faces of homelessness. Um, Sometimes there are refugees who come to this country, people who are displaced and just can't find a place to live, and we see them now living in motels. When we look at a definition of homeless, that's someone who's homeless. We have many indigenous and Inuit people coming now into the city who end up homeless, and that is the face of homeless now. So there's many, many faces of homeless in this city of Ottawa, um, that, that we see to answer your question, Gord. And, uh, it's, it's just a shame that anyone has to be homeless or defined as homeless in a, in a country, in a city like this.
0: And, and I think it's a growing problem as well. Is it not like the number of people who are defined as homeless is increasing?
1: Yeah, and, and that's the problem is, how do you end homelessness? Well, you have homes. Uh, there's a lack of affordable housing in this city when you see the average rent of a one-bedroom apartment now approaching $1,300 a month. Um, think of that. Uh, for anybody on disability, which is less than 1200 a month, anybody on uh, regular social assistance, uh, you know, just around $700 a month, or even somebody earning minimum wage could be making $1,900 to $2,000 a month. How do you afford a one-bedroom, let alone uh, affordable housing? Uh, so we need more homes, and that's what part of the work that Gord does for us, is looking at opportunities to build more affordable housing. Uh, if we can even start trickling up where people who have jobs are low income or low-income or are on social assistance but don't have the mental health and addiction issues of many who are in their shelter, if they could find housing then that opens up other uh, one bedrooms, rooming houses and that for people to come out of the shelters. But it's not happening. We keep hearing promises of builds and the builds aren't happening.
0: It, one of the I, I'm a retired architect and uh, my last project that I've worked on, Peter knows about it, David knows about it, many of you probably know about it, but the, my last project that I worked on, focused on for like five years, was the Salvation Army shelter that was proposed for uh, Montreal Road in Vangney. And um, at the beginning of that project, well, first of all, if, and I digress, but first of all, I, you'd be hard-pressed to pro- find a purpose-built shelter anywhere in North America, in any city. There might be five in the whole continent. And yet this is a growing pro- pro- uh, problem. And uh, there are always... Always, almost always, anyway, like the mission, like the Shepherds of Good Hope, like the Salvation Army's current facility—they're all existing buildings that have been adapted to the use in an emergency kind of situation. They're never—they're never very good. They're always overcrowded. They're always um, substandard, and and the people, it, what they have that's really great is the people who work with them, and that they have to work in this crummy facility. So. When we started that project, I went out on a field trip with the team from the Salvation Army and we visited one of the few purpose-built shelters. And we went to Portland, Oregon. And Portland, uh, has it, gone through a new economic boom. So as we're walking, it's in the downtown area where this, it's like a eight-story building, bottom part, Lower levels are a shelter and then above that is is supportive housing. And as you're walking towards the building, you start to see pup tents on the sidewalk. All all along the sidewalk. And it's in in what happened in Portland, there's no rent controls, no anyway, the economy had gone nuts, and so people who had minimum income kind of jobs like working in retail or, in you know, fast food or anything where you're making minimum wage, couldn't afford their rent anymore. So they became homeless. So it's another whole category of people, families living in tents on the street. Uh, and I found that really, really uh, uh, disturbing. Um, so there's lots of different causes for homelessness. And, you know, I, one of the things that I think you know, we talk, we talk about there, and, and everybody says we need to build more housing. But a lot of, um, will the clients that we have, or the guests, let's call them guests at the mission, you, you, you can't just put them into an apartment or a house.
1: No, you're right, Gord. So there we hear the big push in 2014, Housing First at home Chez um, Sois, and it was just move people into uh, housing no matter what and we've seen the pushback on that since uh we see them people under our roof where we've brought in house mental health supports in house addiction support some of the people my office faces daily street and the people walking up and down uh, screaming to themselves it's as we see in the scriptures often described as somebody possessed of demons um we just see so many people in such a distraught situation you can't just shove someone like that in an apartment, especially not in this province, because we always hear housing first with wraparound supports. Well, housing first is usually the federal government has to build housing and has to lead with the initiative to do so, not just promises. And number two is the wraparound supports would be a provincial health initiative where the province would have to step forward with providing the mental health and addiction support necessary when people are in-house. Well, that's not happening either. So, as a shelter, we're suddenly fulfilling all of those roles right across this country. The big shelters are doing so because we have the capacity to do so, because so much of our funding comes from donors, not just sources of uh, government sources. So, it is a challenge, um, but we do want people housed. But some of them will need uh, to address their addiction and mental health issues, and that's a big piece of what we do at the Ottawa Mission a huge investment we do is to get prepare people to be housed after we've addressed some of their mental health and addictions issues. Uh, we've seen cases in the newspapers, in the media, where people were housed before they were ready to be housed, and then you've got a landlord uh, very visibly uh, in, in the news saying this doesn't work. And then that makes it challenging for us. We have a huge housing department where we're calling landlords to say, we have someone ready to be placed in your building. We'll provide this. Oh, no, I saw that story uh, of what happened when someone was housed that wasn't ready to be housed. So it is a big push for us, um, but uh, we want to get people housed. But some are at the shelter for a reason. We're their last stop on the block. We're the last house on the block for many who have nowhere else to turn and would otherwise be freezing on the streets at, at night uh, in the winter months.
0: So one of the things that's really cool about the mission, and I don't think people generally know what happens at a shelter. They know like there's three hots and a cot, it's what we used to call it. Like you get a place to sleep and you get three meals. But the idea is to kind of help people move on from beyond that to to get their life in order uh, so, there's all kinds of stuff uh, that is done towards that. They have a, the mission has an addictions program called Lifehouse. And when people are ready to, to go into that, not everybody is about, got an addiction problem. Uh, there is the hospice. Uh, homeless people who are dying have to have a place to go. And so we have the hospice, and it's a partnership with, um, uh, Ottawa Inner City Health, and I think CAREFOR is part of that, are they not?
1: Yeah, CAREFOR provides the staffing for Inner City Health who provide them for our hospice.
0: And one of the coolest things that the mission does, there's a lot of other things too, there's a lot of other partnerships, but one of the coolest things that the mission does is related to a guy named Chef Rick. And um, do you want to tell a little bit about Chef Rick?
1: Well, Gord's highlighting what we call the continuum of care. So people, as I said, at the end of uh, nowhere else to turn, come in through our doors, the blue doors on 35 Waller, and immediately we assess them, see what their needs may be, mental health addictions. Uh, maybe they just need a place to stop over uh, until we can find them housing. And they're, they're here from, uh, they've gravitated from one of the smaller communities. People... Why are there so many people who are homeless in the big cities? Because they gravitate to the big cities, because that's where the action is, the opportunity is, whether that action That's where is, the
0: services are.
1: That's where the services are. Maybe that action is a drug addiction. Uh, I spoke to a gentleman once who came here from the streets of Smith Falls. He had been kicked out of his home by his parents. He was 21. He walked up and down the street of Smith Falls, said, I'm hitchhiking to Ottawa. And there he was at the mission a day later. So... That's where people gravitate to. But then we begin the process of healing, of uh, of getting people back on their feet and to that continuum of care, getting them the supports they need. Through the addictions program, for instance, they'll go into stabilization. They'll then go into an off-site addictions program, a residential program, 13 beds, where we have excellent 24-7 counselors for five months intensive because our our issues uh, our, our, our guest issues are often quite deep to address the trauma, then they go into second stage housing so they can learn to cohabit with others in an environment where now you're sharing the remote you're sharing the kitchen, etc. Uh, many of these people have been in jail, incarcerated, or in shelters where they didn't have to learn to cohabit and then they're ready to be housed and that's when we house them into one of our buildings or into another building. So it is a continuum of care and along the way they may find a job. And years ago, Chef Rick started a job training culinary uh, program where people actually graduate a five month program with a certification in, culinary, in the culinary field. And we have a 89% placement rate into permanent jobs for those people. So they could come from our addictions program. They could be a newly landed refugee who can't get work in their field. So they go into the culinary field, and they now train at Chef Rick's on Rito Street, the former Rito Bakery. And and again, we just graduated 13 students into jobs uh, about uh, three weeks ago. And what a pleasure to attend that ceremony to see all 13 placed into jobs. So uh, that's how you keep a continuum of care going and uh, keep people from being homeless or recidivism, returning to homelessness, is by providing them hope and dignity, uh, sometimes faith through our chaplaincy services, but getting them back on track to uh, a stable life where
0: they can can then have a future. I, I remember going to one of those graduation ceremonies a couple of years ago and what they often do is, well, always Chef Rick will have some of the graduates, or maybe last year's graduates, give a little testimony about what, you know what this has done for them. And there was this one guy who's younger than me, but older than David, uh, who was wearing a suit, balding, glasses, looked kind of distinguished. And he had been in banking, and he had, he had developed an addiction. And his whole life fell apart, and uh, found himself on the street in the mission, and you know now was starting a new life, <laughs> working kitchen, and um, it's a. I look at that guy and thinking, there, but by the grace of God, go I, I, I and any of us, any of us could have been in this situation.
1: You're right, Gord. Alex, a uh, $300,000 a year banker in Toronto uh, on Young Street, became a $300,000 a year cocaine habit that destroyed him and his family. And uh, uh, eventually he found a way back, said, I'm not going there again. Yeah. And now I believe he's a sous chef in a leading restaurant here in Ottawa, doing what he loves, not the same pay, but free of his addiction and,
0: and on a journey of faith and hope. Faith is a big part of it. Um, the chaplain... The, the the mission. This is not divorced from the idea of God being part of recovery or ho- finding a home or finding yourself. Faith is part of this all the way through it. And uh, uh, we we had this fantastic uh, chaplain chaplain Timothy, who just retired. And now we have a new guy who was working under Tim, uh, uh, the Dave, who's uh, taking over and and. One of the beautiful things about Timothy was he saw that his ministry was more than just the guests; it was the staff and the volunteers. Um, we could go; I could go on about this for a long, long time, and I better stop. But it, I just want to make sure people understand that this doesn't happen in isolation from the concept of, of the without the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is moving through that place all the time. David, you you, you, you got a different perspective because you work with people in the community probably trying to keep them out of homelessness to some degree, um, and you have your own experiences as well. Maybe you want to share a little bit.
2: Absolutely. Um, so before I get to... Uh, share about my personal experience. Um, I would like to talk about a a stream that produces homelessness that um, Peter did not refer to specifically. Um, This one has to do with people who are fleeing their countries Um, because of war. um, And we see what's going on around the world. Um, people are leaving their country seeking refuge somewhere. And sometimes they end up in Canada, in U.S., in France, in other countries in Europe. And governments do not have enough housing for these people. And people from different walk of life, um, different social, uh, wherever they were from, where they were, they, they were on the social ladder found themselves homeless. So I think um, I can relate to this specific experience. Um, I went to the US um a number of years ago. It's been almost thirty years ago now. Um, I applied um, fleeing those circumstances that I was referring to earlier. Um, I applied for refugee studies um, um, in, in the U.S. Um, this is a process that takes a long, long period of time, the time you apply, and then to the time you get to see a judge, and then it takes five years, some people ten years. And then by that time, many of us, many of these people get settled in the country. Um, people have homes, people get married, they have children. Some people went to school and, and make it very high on the social ladder. So when it was time for me to go before an immigration judge to listen to my case, um, I was found ineligible um, to get um, legal status, and I was told that I have this tiny time window to leave the country. And uh, you can imagine, by then, I have a family, a wife, and and three little children and i did not know what to do but i did not have a lot of alternatives and then i was on a minivan in my way to canada <laughs> a country that i did not know anything about i didn't have anyone to a family member to go through or a best friend or someone I grew up with and anything. So strangely, on September 4th, this today is September 4th, of 2008, me and my family, or my family and I, we stepped our feet on Canadian soil. Wow. And... We were living what the Americans call the American dream. <laughs> uh, my wife uh, was a nurse, and uh, I, was, I studied business management, and we were doing pretty well. And then in a fraction of a second like that, we found ourselves in a new country, three little children, and ended up in a shelter somewhere in Ottawa. You can imagine (laughs) the experience um, from our children having their own rooms, you know, a big home to run around, (laughs) to enjoy a large field, you know, and then to that one bedroom with a couple of bunk beds. And then we lived there for almost eight months. And some people live in those circumstances for like two years, five years, or even more. But you can imagine from one second to another you find yourself in that situation and how detrimental it can be. And some people... To cope with it go to alcohol, drugs, and all sort of things in order to, to quell um, and to overcome the situation, and then they end up with, with addiction and then their life being destroyed before everyone's eyes. But luckily as the two gentlemen have just said, when you're going through the situation with God, with Jesus in it, with you, and this is another experience, although you still experience loneliness, the stigma that comes with being homeless, and all that, and people who look down on you and everything, people sometimes who are working with, Homeless people, possibly there are people who are doing it just for the money, not because they want to uh, 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 help the homeless and then sometimes make you feel like you are just a piece of dirt. But I was lucky enough to go through it with Jesus directing what the future was going to look like for me. Um today is not about counting my blessings. But if I were to tell you where my family and I are today, you will say hallelujah. <laughs> but it is not about counting blessings today. It's about telling you that homeless the homeless people are not the only one who just Maybe we're using drug or alcohol and they find themselves on the street. It comes from different streams. And the church has a role to play in that. Um, To not say too much, God, I think I would would stay right there.
0: Thank you so much.
2: Thanks for sharing that
0: uh, with us. And I know that was hard. I don't have that experience, and, and I'm, I'm glad that I don't have that experience. I know that you're not the only one in this congregation who's been through this, that, that there are other people sitting here with us today who have been through that. And, um, it's, uh, incredible. Um, when I was presenting the design of the, Salvation Army shelter, uh, the Salvation Army had me, they wanted us to, to, you know, everybody, there's all these public meetings and the neighbors are terrified because you're going to build this in, near their house and and they don't want it. But the most important presentations we did were to the guests. So we did twice, two different presentations of what the proposed scheme was about for people who were staying there and staying at the Salvation Army. So it was mostly men, there were some women came in as well. And um I remember some of them speaking to me because they could ask us questions about they don't want us, do they? They already knew that nobody would want them and that they uh were not wanted in the neighborhood. And uh it was really hard and like there was this one guy who had lost his whole family, um, was, had, was suffering from addiction, was living in, was in their program. They were in the, 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 addictions program. It's all there though. And, and they've got no private outdoor space, you know, and they go outside during the daytime and there's all these predators hanging around out in front of the building waiting for them and how, you know, offering them a better life with some more drugs or some more booze or whatever. And he said, it's really, really hard really hard to to give to get out of this. When I was a kid, my dad was a Baptist pastor in uh, Cochrane in northern Ontario, a small town. If you take Highway 11 north out of Toronto, um, or I guess the 400, the 400 turns into Highway 11, you go through uh, Berry, and then the, you know, on up beyond that to the Muskoka Lakes, and then beyond that, you get on up to North Bay, and then go further north past North Bay, you, it gets lots more forest, and Cochrane, the, the Highway 11 goes to Cochrane, that's as far north as it goes, and it goes, it immediately turns due west, and goes off towards Capuscasing and Hearst. And so it's the Trans-Canada, the northern branch of the Trans-Canada, and there was a, this little Baptist church there, That my dad was the pastor of. And we lived right next door to the church. I was, I was, you know, this is, we moved when I was in grade six. So, you know, grade four, I was like 10, 11, eight. We didn't ever lock the door. You'd come home from school, just walk in the house. And often, maybe once every two or three weeks, there would be a knock at the door and there would be this rough looking man. Um, really rough. And uh, often they smelled of alcohol and they wanted to see my dad. And so we, you know, I go, Dad, there's a man here to see you. And he'd come down. And he, dad, always, always treated them with respect. Um, there was no shelter in Cochrane. And these guys were coming in off the highway or out of the bush or whatever. And they needed a place to stay or they needed a meal or they needed a handout. They, and they went to the, to us all the time. And dad never turned them down. Sometimes he'd set up a bed in the, in the church basement. Um, almost always he gave them a voucher and he might drive them down to this little Chinese cafe called, uh, Fat's Cafe down on Sixth Avenue. And it was like a, a, a benefit to both Mr. Fat and to them because it was a meal. Um, sometimes he gave them yard work to do. And I asked him about this because we were always afraid. And he said, Well, I never know. Jesus might be amongst them. And, um, he really, really believed that, that Jesus could be walking amongst them, could be one of these, these men, just, you know, f- for us. Um, Jesus talked about that to in the end of Matthew towards the end of matthew it's it's just a couple of days before the crucifixion and they the the they' Jesus and the twelve have been in Jerusalem for a few days Palm Sunday happened a few days earlier uh, and they he teaches every day in the courtyards of the of the temple and they're leaving the temple one day That tells us passage about they're leaving the temple, and one of the disciples says, Look at the temple, look how beautiful it is, and Jesus says, you know, starts to tell them about how all of this is going to come down. And he takes them out to the Mount of Olives and just this little group of men, and they have this conversation. And he tells them this. It's about, he's talking about how things are going to end. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, And all the angels with him. He will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right. And the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on the right. Come. You who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you. Since the creation of the world. For or needed clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine,
2: you did for me. Before uh, God conclude, to be with benediction and then- Whatever else he has planned. Um, it, it, it feels like, um, it, it is a sad, uh, moment, a sad environment, but it's not supposed to be, although we are talking about homelessness. Um, maybe I will share a little joke to cheer you guys on. <laughs> um, while we were, uh, living in the shelter, giving our children were so young, <laughs> they thought we, we were in a hotel because we we have left our home, and then when we left, um, it was a time we were planning our vacation, and they thought we were on our way to some hotel room somewhere um, to to enjoy our time and and so on and so forth. And then when we admitted to uh, to the shelter, you know, one day, three days goes by and. Uh, I went by and one of them say, uh, pointing the little finger in my face, hey, dad, what kind of hotel is this? <laughs> because this is not the kind of hotel we use to, to go and enjoy time on our vacation. Um, I would also take a second, Peter, to thank you um, for uh, the heart of serving people who are in need in the community. Um, specifically those without home and battling um, addiction. Um.
1: Thank you, David. Um, I consider I'm truly blessed, as Gord knows. I say to my board every year when they do my annual review, and, and then I say, um, thank you, for, uh, Lord, for this work and what you're going to pay me to. So uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, truly blessed. I'm, I'm also, a, uh, as Gord is aware, a... Uh, I, I like to think an addiction survivor. So this is God's blessing to me to give back to my people, who uh, can walk a journey with me as well too, and uh, hopefully uh, see hope uh, and faith uh, and and pull through things and and get back uh, get back um, their lives.
2: I'm glad you mentioned hope because sometimes when we look at um, homeless people, uh, especially those penhandling and 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 dragging on the street, we it's it's very easy to view them as a lost case, but it, it's more often than not a, a season in those people's life. Perfectly said. Uh,
0: before I close in prayer, I just want to tell you one more small story. It's about Peter and the Salvation Army because Peter's not with the Salvation Army. Salvation Army runs their own facility, and uh, actually, the mission's philosophy is a little different than the Salvation Army. We have different methods. But when we were doing, uh, t- trying to, to present this to the community, we had this open house that was, uh, out at a hotel. <laughs> and, um, Paul Black was there because he was working on the, on the project as well. He was a planner. They had a, so we had all these stations and hundreds, maybe thousands of people came through. And a number of the stations in this big room were Salvation Army stations about, you know, this is what we do. Here, this is one of the other programs we do. One of the other, and one of them was about addictions. And Peter had come along, he was there just to kind of offer support. And he's, he told me this story. And he's standing there next to this, this young woman, or nearby, this young woman is talking about their addictions program and what they try to do. And this, this angry neighbor is saying, they never change, they never get any better. And Peter says, uh, well. I was. I'm a, I'm a surviving addict, and I'm here today. And they do change. Yeah. And um, that's why, that's what changes things. Let's pray. Father God, I. I thank you for, this time together, and I know we've talked a lot, and I and I probably talked too much, and and we've had we've had some really honest um exchange here about a tough thing and don't ever let us keep us an, keep us aware of who we are supposed to be that we that you could be amongst us at any time that you could be the person who needs shelter the person who needs a drink the person who needs clothing We thank you that we do have a home. We have the places we live, but we have this home in you, in this place, in this community that brings us together. We ask you to take us home to our houses and our lives that we do every day of the week, but to keep us conscious of who you want us to be. And to be conscious of the truth